book two chapters twelve through sixteen of of the love of god by st francis de sales translated by h l sidney lear this librivox recording is in the public domain book two the origin of divine love chapter twelve god leaves us wholly free to follow or reject his leadings i will not dwell here upon the miraculous grace which has in a moment turned the wolf to a lamb the dry rock to a springing well the persecutor to an apostle and i pass over those extraordinary calls those holy violences by which god has been pleased sometimes in one moment to transform some chosen soul from the depth of sin into the height of grace producing a very moral and spiritual transubstantiation as in the case of the great apostle who from saul the persecutor became in a moment paul the chosen vessel such privileged souls are a class apart souls in which god has been pleased to exercise not merely the liberality but the most prodigal profusion of his love god's justice punishes us in this world generally by ordinary and imperceptible agents but sometimes he pours forth a deluge of punishment to proclaim and make us fear the severity of his wrath even so ordinarily his mercy guides souls so gently and tenderly that they scarce perceive its dealings yet sometimes that sovereign mercy overflows its wonted brim like a swollen river and pours forth such an impetuous torrent of grace that in one moment the favoured soul is flooded with blessings thereby testifying that as his justice takes sometimes an ordinary sometimes an extraordinary channel even so his mercy is exercised in ordinary ways for the most part but sometimes in those which are extraordinary but what are the ordinary cords by which divine providence is wont to draw our hearts to himself he tells us by his prophet hosea i drew them with cords of a man with bands of love Hosea chapter 11 verse 4 God does not draw us with chains of iron as though we were beasts but by loving attraction and holy inspirations human cords that is adapted to the free heart of man pleasure and delight are the natural attractions to man we offer fruit to a child and he is drawn by what he likes not by a physical but a moral cord and even so our heavenly father draws us he leads us by attraction not as of force but shedding spiritual delights into our heart so as to gently win us to taste the sweetness of his doctrine in this way our free will is nowise forced or constrained by grace and notwithstanding the all-powerful strength of god's merciful hand which urges the soul with so many leadings and attractions 
man's will remains perfectly at large and unrestrained grace draws the heart with so delicate as well as strong a touch that the freedom of our will remains unhindered its strength does but employ a loving force which nowise interferes with our liberty we can consent or resist as we choose but it is as striking as true that when our will obeys the divine leading it obeys as freely as it resists although obedience depends more upon grace than resistance so wondrously does god give us power to do what is right even while he leaves us entire liberty and free will if thou knewest the gift of god and who it is that saith to thee give me to drink thou wouldst have asked of him and he would have given thee living water john chapter four verse ten the original words convey the meaning perchance thou wouldst have asked as though even to this samaritan woman our lord meant to say that it depended on her own free will to ask or not ask he who should say that it does not depend upon our free will to cooperate with god's grace or to reject it would contradict holy scripture the fathers and all experience but in saying that we may reject god's inspirations and drawings it is not meant that we can hinder them from being sent they are in and around us before we realize them just as god wakens us out of sleep without any conscious intention on our part but once awake it depends on ourselves to rise up he awakens us without any effort of our own but he expects us to rise of ourselves and if we will not rise but fall asleep again we resist his wakening we cannot hinder god's inspirations from moving us but if we reject them and will not follow then we resist him even as those birds of which i was speaking which will not be carried onwards by the breeze unless they spread their wings when once launched but if lured by some green spot on earth or numb with having lain low they do not second the wind's motions or expand their wings the wind will be all in vain thus god's inspirations prevent us even before we realize them but so soon as we perceive them we must needs consent and cooperate or reject them they come independently of our will but they depend upon that will for their results chapter thirteen the first feelings of love which divine grace kindles in the soul before it attains to faith that breeze which uplifts the birds we spoke of first affects their feathers as their most susceptible part and when they move their wings in response by degrees the bird is uplifted and thus as it cooperates with the wind's action it derives increasing assistance therefrom 
even so when the sacred gust of inspiration raises us into the atmosphere of holy love it moves our will and stimulates our natural inclination for what is good that inclination in its turn serving as a lever all this is worked in us without our help by god's grace and if we cooperate ever so little well for us for then that same grace uniting itself to our feeble efforts and vivifying our dullness with its powerful action will lead us on from point to point up to that holy faith we need blessed be god for the grace with which his holy spirit sheds the first rays of his living light and warmth into our hearts blessed indeed it is to watch that heavenly sunshine gradually shedding its glow upon a soul never staying till it has kindled it fully with the splendor of its presence and gladdened it with perfect day joyful and glad dawn yet after all the dawn is but the beginning of day and even so these kindlings of love which precede the act of faith needed for our justification are but the imperfect beginnings of love they are as the first shoots of spring on the mystic tree rather than the ripened fruits it is told of saint pacomius how as a young soldier of the army sent by constantius against the tyrant maxentius and as yet unknowing of god he came with his famishing troops to a village nigh to thebes where the inhabitants being faithful followers of their lord and therefore charitable ministered so lovingly to the soldiers needs that pacomius was amazed and asking who these kindly hosts could be and learning that they were christians who because of their belief in the only son of god did good to all men hoping to receive their reward of him he was roused from heathenism and the example of these christians woke the first spark of love in him and so being told what was the law of christ and being filled with a new light and joy thereby he went apart to reflect and after a while lifting up his hands to heaven he cried out lord god who madest earth and heaven if thou vouchsafest to cast thine eyes upon my weakness and misery and to show me thyself i engage to serve and obey thee all my days and from that time of this prayer and this promise the love of true holiness grew so vehemently in him that he went on from strength to strength even so the nightingale wakes at dawn of day plumes its feathers and by degrees launches forth its ever louder bursts of song consider how god proceeds gradually increasing his gracious inspiration in consenting hearts drawing them upward by heavenly steps like to jacob's ladder what then are these drawings the first whereby god wakens us 
is his work in us but without us all the rest are his work in us but not without us draw me the bride says that is be it thine to begin for i cannot waken myself without thy help but when once thou hast roused me o beloved we will run after thee thou wilt go first drawing me onwards and i shall follow joyfully but let no one imagine that thou drawest me as an unwilling slave or an inanimate object it is because of the savour of thy good ointments canticle chapter one verse three a sweet savour can have no power to draw save its sweetness neither can sweetness draw us without delight chapter fourteen how love is accepted by faith when god gives us faith he comes to us and speaks not as it were in words but by inspiration offering that which he sets before the mind so lovingly that the will rejoices therein and urges the understanding to accept the same thus god presents the mysteries of the faith to the soul amid shadows and darkness so that we do but perceive them dimly just as when in nature mists cover the earth we do not see the sun but are conscious that where it is there is the most brightness so that we perceive without really seeing it yet this clear shadow of faith having penetrated the mind by no force of words or argument but solely by its own sweetness it exercises so great an authority over the understanding that it conveys a certainty beyond all else and entirely enthralls the mind and its powers yes verily faith is the mind's best ally and may well say to all boasted human knowledge with the bride i am black but comely canticle chapter one verse five o ye earthly science and learning i am black for i lie in the shadows but i am comely by reason of my absolute certainty and could mortal eyes see me as i really am they would think so am i not indeed infinitely gracious since not all the mists and darkness amid which i am not seen but dimly perceived cannot hinder but that prizing me above all else the mind presses on to seek me and enthrones me on its loftiest throne whence i rule all knowledge and subdue all earthly wisdom even as the chieftains of israel enthrone jehu crying out jehu is king so all the intellectual faculties are fain to submit to faith and proclaim it monarch doubtless the christian religion owes much to argument to miracles and the like but it is faith alone by which it is believed and confirmed accepted for the beauty of its truth and the truth of its beauty for the calmness it imparts to the will the certainty it gives to the understanding 
the jews saw our lord's miracles and heard his marvellous teaching but not being willing to receive the faith that is their will not being alive to its beauty because of the malice of their hearts they remained in unbelief they perceived the force of the argument but did not appreciate the sweetness of its conclusion and therefore did not accept its truth yet the action of faith lies in that acceptance by which the mind having received the welcome light of truth cleaves to it with a calm but strong and powerful certainty and reliance on the authority of that which reveals it you know how in a general council the matters in debate are discussed and argued and finally the fathers that is to say the bishops and the pope as chief bishop decide resolve and pronounce and their determination spoken all accept it not because of the reasonings alleged during the past discussion but by virtue of the holy spirit's authority who presiding invisibly over the council has judged decided and spoken by the mouths of those whom he has appointed his ministers thus the inquiry and discussion is made in the court of priests and doctors but the decision and its acceptance takes place in the sanctuary where the holy ghost which inspires the church speaks by the mouth of its chief pastor as our lord promised so like as the ostrich lays its eggs in the libyan sands but the sun alone hatches them do the doctors set forth the truth by their researches and discussions but the sunshine of eternal wisdom certifies and accepts it and finally the conviction which man's mind receives concerning the mysteries and revelations of the faith begins with the sense of satisfaction which the will derives from the beauty and acceptableness of the proposed truth so that faith presupposes an impulse of love felt by our heart towards heavenly things chapter fifteen how largely holy hope feeds love just as we are no sooner exposed to the light of the midday sun than we feel its warmth so no sooner has the light of faith cast the brightness of its truth upon our mind than our will begins to feel the holy warmth of heavenly love faith teaches us with infallible certainty that god is that his goodness is infinite that he not only can but will impart himself to us and that he has prepared all needful to enable us to attain everlasting glory now we possess a natural tendency to our sovereign good by reason of which our heart knows no other rest nor can refrain from ceaselessly testifying that its perfect contentment is lacking but when holy faith makes plain the all-worthy object of this natural craving then how great is the thrilling delight which the soul experiences and how fervently it cries out behold 
thou art fair my beloved eliezer went to seek a bride for the son of his master abraham how could he tell that he would find her such as he desired but when he had found her at the well so perfect in beauty and grace and above all when she was given to him he blessed god with a thankful heart genesis chapter twenty four verse twenty seven so the heart of man seeks god by natural inclination not really knowing what he is but having found him by the well of faith and beholding him good gracious and loving to all and ready to give himself to those who seek him then indeed it seeks earnestly to be united forever to that most gracious love and even as jacob wept for very joy when he had found rachel so our frail heart having found god and received that his most precious gift of faith melts from exceeding love for the infinite good revealed to it in so much beauty there are times when we feel an unaccountable presentiment of gladness which is often the presage of some great joy whence men have fancied that our good angels impart such knowing that which is about to happen as on the other hand they send us warnings of coming danger so that we may be watchful and call upon god now when the joy thus foreshadowed arises our hearts expand to meet it and remembering that previously unaccountable sense of gladness we then for the first time read it aright and just so our heart has long vibrated towards its real good without our knowing what the vibration meant but so soon as faith points that out we see at once what it was our soul craved and our mind sought after sure it is that whether we will or will not our minds tend towards our sovereign good but after all what is that we are like the athenians who worship the one true god but as unknown until such time as st paul proclaimed him to them even so our heart's deep though secret instinct tends to its real bliss and seeks on all sides like one blindfold for it not knowing where it lies nor what it is until faith points it out and displays its marvels and then having found the hidden treasure how boundless that poor heart's joy and rest will be i have found him whom my soul loveth even while i knew him not i knew not what i sought or wherefore nothing satisfied me i fancied i loved yet knew not what to love but now i sit down under his shadow with great delight and his fruit is sweet to my taste canticle chapter two verse three chapter sixteen how love is carried out by hope the human understanding being thus addressed to the contemplation of that which faith sets before it as its sovereign good an exceeding attraction thereto is kindled in the will 
which greatly desires the presence of that divine object and causes the soul to cry out let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth canticle chapter one verse two and even as the hawk when unhooded darts upon its prey and if restrained by its lures struggles vehemently against the hand which holds them so when faith has torn asunder the veil of ignorance and shown us our sovereign good which as yet we are unable fully to possess by reason of the hindrances of mortality then in the intensity of longing we cry out as pants the heart for cooling streams when heated in the chase so long my soul o god for thee and thy refreshing grace for thee my god the living god my thirsty soul doth pine o when shall i behold thy face thou majesty divine psalm forty two it is a rightful longing for who but must long for so great a good but it were a fruitless longing and one which would be a very martyrdom if we had no hope one day to satisfy it what had he done who cried out my tears have become my meat day and night because his lord had forgotten him and his enemy said where now is thy god what had he done without some manner of hope sooner or later to obtain that presence for which he sighed or the bride who was sick of love because she could not find her beloved love kindled longing and eager pursuit and her disappointed search caused her soul to fail and she had altogether perished without some ray of hope thus in order that we may not faint and fail under the anxiety and sorrow of unsatisfied longing that same sovereign good which kindles our desires certifies us of their satisfaction by countless promises given both by his word and his daily inspirations provided we will but make use of the means he offers us to that end now these promises have a special and marvellous power at once to increase the cause of our anxiety and as they increase that to put away its effects for surely god's promise of paradise must infinitely quicken our desire to enter upon its enjoyment and at the same time it altogether calms all anxious restlessness which accompanied that desire because those blessed promises given by god soothe the heart and that soothing calm is the foundation of the holy virtue which we call hope and this because the will convinced that it may attain the sovereign good by means of god's offered means thereto performs two main acts of grace by the one expecting god to give it the fruition of his sovereign goodness by the other eagerly aspiring to that holy fruition of a truth the only difference between hoping and aspiring is that we hope for things which are to come by means of another 
and we aspire to things which we can obtain of ourselves and since we attain to the enjoyment of our sovereign good which is god by his grace and mercy above all while yet that very mercy requires the cooperation of our feeble will with his all-powerful grace so our hope must needs be mingled with aspiration so that neither can be wholly apart from the other but hope is ever the chiefest being founded upon divine grace without which as we could not even think fitly of that sovereign good so neither could we aspire to it as to obtain the fulfilment of our aspiration aspiration then is an offshoot of hope as our cooperation is of grace and just as those who think to hope without aspiring would be rejected as careless and cowardly so they who would aspire without hoping are rash and presumptuous but when hope is followed by aspiration so that hoping we aspire and aspiring we hope then hope develops into a bold aim and aspiration becomes a humble desire according to god's inspiration while both spring from that longing love for our sovereign good which we shall ever love the better as we more confidently hope for it thus hope is nothing else than the loving delight we feel in expecting and claiming our sovereign good all comes of love faith no sooner showed me my sovereign good than i loved him and being absent i desired him so soon as i knew he willed to give himself to me i yet more eagerly loved and desired him and thus by degrees love's longing was turned into hope and expectation so that hope is an expectant awaiting love and because that sovereign good which hope expects is god and because it hopes and expects in and through god only this holy virtue hope finding as it does its sole end and satisfaction on all sides in god is what we call a cardinal or theological virtue end of book two chapter sixteen